No man is an island. In fact, as we see in God's Word, we serve somebody, whether it's God or our flesh or Satan. Who do you serve? Let's talk about that next on Graceful Truth. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Hi there and welcome to our program. We continue our survey of Romans, chapter 6, verses 18 through 23 today in a message called, You Gotta Serve. So who is it that you serve? How do you know? And if you find yourself serving somebody other than the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you win over that slavery and become a slave to righteousness? These are things we're looking at here today on Graceful Truth. We would invite you to join us. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's program. You, know, you don't become a Christian by, by just kind of going from church to church to church to church. You know, you can't invent your own mold. People today invent their own God. So when you tell them the gospel, you know what, you need to be saved because of your sin. Well, why? Because if you don't, you'll be going to hell. Well, my God won't send anybody to hell. I have a loving God. Okay, I understand that, but it's not the God of the Bible because the Bible says this. And they fight you on every point because they've recreated God in their own mind. And I think a lot of Christians today, unfortunately, a lot of those, I should qualify that, a lot of people in the church, whether they're Christians or not, that's for God to decide, but have reinvented their own gospel. So we make excuses, you know, we, well, you know, poor so-and-so, you know, he's had a rough life and, and, you know, he's a Christian, but he's kind of, he's backslidden and, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that and, you know, just, you know, but he's a Christian, he's a Christian, he's a Christian. We keep on wanting to believe that. But the Bible says, Paul says here, you obeyed from your heart. The gospel call reached to your heart. Have you ever tried to get your kids to do something they don't want to do? It's a miserable experience. Just miserable. I mean, it can just make or break your day. But have you ever taken your kids on something they really wanted to do? Because they really desired it in their heart? Man, they can't wait. See, that, that's what the Christian life is all about. There's a lot of so-called Christians today that are trying to live the Christian life, but God has never transformed their life. They've never transformed their heart. So they're trying to do all the things they see Christians doing, and it's difficult. It's frustrating for them because they're still a slave to sin. They haven't been transformed. They haven't been freed by that because somehow they think that if they just keep trying harder and harder, eventually things will fall into place. I mean, you, you see here, this, this word obey occurs four times just in the text that we've seen. It's obedience of the faithful. It's an obedient life. It's the Christian who's responding to the word of God to saying, okay, what does God's word say about this? Because I definitely want to obey God's word. Believing Jesus Christ is the initial act of obedience. And then it becomes a life of obedience. Everybody wants their independence today. Nobody likes to be, quote, a slave to anybody. But uh, I'm just being honest with the text. It doesn't say that. It says either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. What do you want? Which one do you want to pick? You know, we think of it somehow as it relates to our kids when they're growing up. You know, man, when I was 18, it was like, whoa, go to school, go to college. In two years, I was living in California. You know, I had my independence. This was great. Thought I was calling my own shots. We're always under 
someone's rule. We're always under someone being the master. Is it sin or is it Christ? As a Christian, we're always under the Lord. We don't have the right to go out and do whatever we want to do. That's not Christian. We don't have the right to say, well, you know what? I, I, you know, th- this is my life and, and I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. And we don't have that choice. A Christian is always marked as one who does what? Who obeys. Who obeys his master. If you don't, you can say whatever you want to try to convince me you are, but I will fall back to what the scripture says and say, no, you're not a Christian. If you're not obeying what Christ teaches us, you're not a Christian. True justification, true transformation always produces obedience. And the longer we live for Christ and with Christ, the more obedient we become. Look over with me at Titus chapter uh, 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then look at what it says in verse 12. What's the purpose of this salvation coming for all people? To train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for those who respond to the gospel. That's the text there. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. It means those who respond to the gospel, those people, all people. It trains us to renounce these things of the world, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. What is that? That's obedience. Verse 14, look down a little further. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why did God save you? So you could live in the world saying, hey, I'm saved. I'm under all my sins are forgiven. I'm, you know, I get a free pass on everything now. I'm just going to do whatever I want. No. He saved you, it says, for good works. We're saved onto good works. First Peter 1.22 says the same thing. It says, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, you become a new creation in Christ. And you live a life of obedience as a result. And that kind of brings us to where we're at in this text. Back to Romans 6.18. How do you win over this sin problem? Because please hear me, I'm not saying that as a Christian you never sin. That's not what I'm saying. If you think that's what I'm saying, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. We all will struggle with sin till the day we die or the Lord comes back to pick us up. Why is that? Because we're in this fleshly body. And, and Satan uses this fleshly body, this, this, this body which is supposed to be a temple for the Holy Spirit... The body itself isn't evil, but that's how sin operates. It operates through this body. So once we get rid of this body, we will be sinless because we'll be in a glorified body. What a wonderful day that'd be. Sin always dishonors the Lord. A holy life always glorifies him. It always honors the Lord. What does sin do in our life? It disrupts fellowship. It causes issue. A holy life allows us to have sweet communion with our Lord. So... Our default should be we want to win over sin. We don't want to figure out a way around it. We don't want to figure out a way so we can sin more. We want to say, no, we want to sin less. And to win over sin, we need to give ourselves as a slave to righteousness in view of three things. Our spiritual past, our spiritual present, and our spiritual future. So the first point in your outline there is to win over sin, give yourself as a slave to righteousness. Look at what he says in verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, there's a heart. I, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to you. This is going to be difficult. So I'm just going to kind of boil it down into some human terms that you will understand. The reason I have to do that is because of the weakness of your flesh. 
this fleshly body that I just spoke of. He says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness or further sin, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now remember, he's talking to Christians and he's saying, this is your state. This is your position. This is who you are in Christ. He's not, it's not a command in the sense of him telling us to kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do this. He's saying this should be happening in your life as a Christian. And he says, because you're a frail human being, because you're just like me, I, I got to kind of boil this down and, and make this kind of simple. So I'm just going to use this illustration of slavery because we all understand what slavery is. And so he says there, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It means to give yourself as a slave to sin. Continually. Continually. One commentator makes this, this point. He says, he thus makes clear that Christians should serve righteousness with all the single-minded dedication that characterized their pre-Christian service of such idols as self, money, lust, pleasure, and power. I mean, you may not think of yourself as a bad person. And in the world's eyes, most of you probably are not. Probably well upstanding citizens in our community, and that's great. But that's not going to get you to heaven. He says, since we repeatedly gave ourselves to those false gods, so now we must repeatedly give ourselves to serve God and righteousness. Remember, we're, we're in a series here saying you've got to serve somebody. It's either going to be sin or God. Whose slave do you have? You only have the two options. That's it. There's not a third horse in the race. Being a slave of sin leads to ultimate death, spiritual death, condemnation in hell forever. Spiritual death is the wage that sin earns. On the other hand, if you're a slave of God, if you're a slave of Christ, you have eternal life with God forever in heaven. The wage earned by righteousness is God's, it's God's free gift. He gives it to us. But because he gives us a gift, we have to be characterized by that gift. You can tell where you're headed by how this process is going in your own life. The process of sanctification, the process of growing in holiness each and every day. Where are you at? Are you growing more like Christ? Or has nothing changed? You're the same old person you were always, you've always been. You're just a person that comes to church now. This is truth that you have to grapple with, and you have to grapple with it deep in your heart. As Paul says, it's obedience from the heart. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells us, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Do you love God more than you used to love him? Do you hate your own sin more and more? Do you love others more and more? Do you see yourself as laying down your own rights to serve others? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit more and more in your daily lives? Or has nothing changed? Are you still a slave to sin, to unrighteousness? Secondly, to win over sin, remember your shameful, sinful, uh, spiritual past as a slave of sin. And he says this in verses 20 to 21. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, we were all there, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free in regard to righteousness. Even if you were raised in a Christian family, beloved, you were a slave to sin. We're all in the same boat together. Unbelievers sin because they want to sin. They like sinning. And more sin leads to more sin. Even when they know that they're addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to homosexuality, whatever it might be, whatever the sin is, and that's what they are, they're sins. Even though these sins are causing huge problems in their life, they keep on doing them because they like sinning, frankly. 
And the only way to be delivered from that is to God give you a new nature, to change you, to give you a new birth, to reform you, to transform you into the image of Christ. And so he says here in verse 20, you were slaves of sin and you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you kind of thought basically you could do whatever you wanted to do. That's never the case, but that's kind of what he's saying here. And he says in verse 21, remember what that fruit was that you were getting at the time of those things that you were now ashamed of. What are the benefits of sin? Sometimes it's good to reflect on that, to remind ourselves of those sins that caused us to be humbled and maybe allow us now to deal more graciously with fellow sinners because we were there, we walked in their shoes. We don't have any right to be self-righteous or judgmental toward those who are still slaves of sin. Watched an interview with a certain individual who's doing this whole transgender thing. And my heart broke as I listened to this individual explain his life, explain what's going on in his mind, explain that somehow he thinks that this is, for the first time, he can truly be free to be who he wants to be, <laughs> acting as a woman. Kind of bizarre. All you have to do is look at the psychological studies on folks like that. They can do the whole thing, do every change possible, including the physical aspect of it. Majority of them still end up committing suicide because they're unhappy. They're miserable. They're confused. They're deceived by the enemy. They're a victim of the enemy. We need to pray for people like that. We don't need to look down our righteous noses at them and say, yeah, they get, get what they deserve. Secondly, we need to thank God for loving us in spite of our sin and saying, sending Christ to die for your sins. I mean, we're celebrating communion time here in a couple minutes. I mean, do you think that when Jesus died on the cross that he died for everybody but you because you're just so righteous and so good? No. We sang a song earlier that reflected on Christ's time on the cross and how it personally relates to each one of us. We need to thank God that he, he loved us in spite of our sinfulness. I was thinking the other day, my wife and I celebrated, get this right, our 22nd wedding anniversary. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, she still loves me after 22 years. That says something right there. Because you may see some guy up here preaching behind a pulpit, but you know what? I can just be a downright jerk sometimes. That's just, you know, I'm not hiding behind anything here. That's just the truth. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, God definitely has a hand of protection on our relationship because it probably would have dissolved years ago if it wasn't for that. We need to thank God that he loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of our own stupid, sinful self and the dumb, idiotic things we do sometimes that cause him dishonor. He still loves us, still forgives us. That should drive us to live for him more and more each day. And I think when you reflect on your past sins, it, it guards us, it puts us on guard that we don't want to fall back there. We don't want to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Let me tell you, once you've yielded to a sin, it will always hold a powerful attraction. Even when you're in the midst of a wonderful fellowship time and boy, you're, you're singing songs or whatever, that sin can just come right up in your mind. That's how sin is. We need to be on guard. And so to win over sin, you have to present yourself as a slave to righteousness and say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to that. I don't need to listen to that. He has no, Satan has no, sin has no power over me anymore as a Christian. For the first time in my life, I can do what God wants me to do. And pray and ask God to give you the strength to do that. And the third point here in your outline, to win over sin, keep in mind your blessed spiritual 
present, keep in mind your blessed spiritual present as a slave of God. He says there in verse 22, but now having been freed from sin. Amen? Amen. That's a good place for an amen. But now having been freed from sin. Amen. amen. All right. And enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. He points three, four things here. Your present, your spiritual present is due to a great change that God has made in your life. You didn't get saved because you saved yourself. It goes right back to thank God that he did it. That's so important to understand that. That we were slaves to sin, but now we're free to live for him in righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, before you were a Christian, you had no relationship with God. You had a, at best, you had a relationship of animosity. You were under the wrath of God. That's why Christ came and he lived a sinless life. 33 some years and then he went to the cross willingly and he died on the cross even though he committed no crime. He gave himself for us. Christ died in our place. He died feeling the wrath of God, his own father. A wrath that equaled the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and trust in Christ. Even though he never committed one sin, he had to bear the penalty of all those sins. And he says in Ephesians 5, 8, you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Heard an old black preacher one time preaching. He said this, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we're going to be, but thank God we ain't what we was. See, if you've met Christ as your savior, there's a huge but now in your life. It's different. It's a new chapter. Be there in your outline. Your spiritual present rests on your new position in Christ. Your spiritual present rests on your new position in Christ. We're in a new position with God. God has transformed us. He's made us. We have a, a brand new relationship. And he says that we've been freed from sin. We've been a sl- slave of righteousness in Christ. That's our new position. God did it through his grace, through his power. And this is true of every Christian on the face of the earth. We've got to stop thinking that there's some Christians that somehow, you know, attain a higher level of spirituality than others. We're all in the same boat together. Either we're walking for Christ, with Christ and living for him or we're not. And Paul repeatedly states here in verses uh, 2 to 8 of chapter 6 of Romans, In Christ we all died to sin. We become raised in the newness of life. Therefore be what you are now. That's his, that's his point. Live in the light of your new position in Christ. For the first time you don't have to listen to that old sinful voice telling you what to do anymore. You have the power to say no. You have the power to through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a life that's honoring to Christ. See there, your spiritual present includes the many wonderful benefits of sanctification. I mean, when, when Satan paints your old life of sin, you kind of think, oh, that's, that's when I had freedom and pleasure and all that stuff. It's a lie. It's a lie. Life of sin destroys fellowship with the gracious, kind, and loving Heavenly Father that we serve. Sin destroys loving human relationships. I mean, sin is a plague that brings tears to generations of family members, to sinful parents who abuse their children, to rebellious children who cast off the wise guidance and experience of their parents. Sinful people abuse their bodies with alcohol, tobacco, drugs. I mean, it's just a destructive force. Why would you want to give in to it? 
On the other hand, holiness blesses those who walk in it and all those around it. Holy people enjoying fellowship with the living God. Holy husbands sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church. They tenderly seek the blessing and benefit of their wives. Holy fathers show the grace and kindness of the Lord to their children, training them to love and follow the Lord for their own good. Holy young people walk in ways of the Lord that honor him. They avoid the terrible scars that come from sexual immorality, drugs, alcohol, and abusive relationships. Holy church members care for one another. They encourage the faint-hearted. They help the weak. They be patient. They're kind. They're loving toward one another. Matthew Henry was a well-known pastor and Bible commentator. He was on his deathbed in 1714 at the age of 52. If you read about it, it says he endured the loss of his first wife and of three children. He was relatively young. He could have complained about his early death, but he said to a friend, you have, you have been used to take notice of the sayings of dying men. This is mine, that a life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that one can live in this present world. See, that's the benefit of being enslaved to God. When you're tempted to sin, remember your spiritual present, that you are a slave of God, not a slave of sin. Last point here, and we'll have communion. Point number four, to win over sin, look forward to your glorious spiritual future, your eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you have to look forward to, spiritual death, eternal punishment in hell forever under the wrath of God. But it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's what God offers us. That's what God gives us. If you want the wages of sin, well, then have at it. If you want eternal life with God, then you need to come to Christ. You need to bend your heart. You need to say, you know what, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me. We don't work for our salvation, beloved. It's a gift. You simply reach out and take it. The word wages here was used of a soldier's pay. Picture a a cruel dictator. Doesn't care about the soldiers that serve him. They're only pawns to preserve his luxurious lifestyle. They're out on the front lines and the battle lines, taking bullets and shrapnel and eating horrible rations separated from the comforts of their home. Their wage is death. See, that's the wage that sin pays its servants. You may be a young person here today thinking, well, you know, I'm young. I can kind of sow my oats. No, you can't. You'll pay dearly for that. Commit your life to Christ. Come to the Savior. It's God's offer of a free gift, freedom from sin, a joyous life of knowing the only one and true God, your creator God. Father, we thank you this morning for our time in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us a way of salvation. Even though we're all in the same boat as far as sinfulness goes, none of us is good enough to get to heaven. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.